Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate righteousness will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Thank you, Heather, for reading that psalm. What a psalm. Uh, well, we continue in this series called Putting the Psalms to Work, where what we're doing is we are uh, studying different genres of biblical poetry. And so each sermon in this series from the Psalms is a different kind of psalm. Uh, this particular psalm is a psalm of thanksgiving. And what we're doing with these psalms is we're saying, what, what, what kind of psalm is it? What does the psalm say? And then how does it help us pray? How, what does this teach us about the practice of prayer. And so uh, this is a psalm of thanksgiving. All right. On Saturday mornings, we turn our TV on. And we always turn it to the same channel. Anybody want to hazard a guess what is playing in the background of our house on a Saturday morning? To cartoons. Man, I wish. <laughs> I don't really do that anymore. HGTV. Because what's better than HGTV just droning in the background? We have this, and those shows, there's a formula, right, to the shows, especially the home renovation shows. And the formula goes a little something like this. Somebody has a house that needs a lot of work. It's kind of embarrassing how much work their house needs. And so then some impossibly well-put-together couple comes along and says, we are going to transform your rundown hovel into the house of your dreams. And then we see it all happen. They draw up plans, they demolish the old, they build out the new, and they stage the house as if it's about to go on the market. You know the show, right? It's a formula. There is an OG version of this. The, the original home improvement show uh, along these lines 
a little something that's not on anymore, I don't think, called Extreme Makeover Home Edition. You remember this? I remember, I was living in Kansas City when this show first debuted on TV. In fact, I'm in an episode of it. <laughs> because they, had a, they did a house in Kansas City and they did kind of this cattle call for people who would all wear matching t-shirts and come pouring out of a semi-trailer and go in and do the demolition. And, and, and I give, um, oh gosh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Ty. I gave Ty a high five on national television. It was a great, it was a great moment for me and for Ty. And, um, but I remember seeing an episode of this show before they came to Kansas City and just losing it. I mean, just crying, crying, because I'd never seen anything like this. I've become hardened since then, but, but it was a, this was a, an episode where there was a 14-year-old boy named Stefan Varden who wrote into the show and told his family's story. And his family's story was this. His parents, Larry, his, his dad, Larry, was a welder for Chrysler, and his mom, Judy, was a volunteer who taught Braille and sign language to blind and deaf children. And both of his parents were deaf, and he had a younger brother named Lance, who was 12 at the time, who was blind and autistic. And so deaf parents and a son who was blind and autistic. And the show picked up their story and did a renovation of their home, and uh, a guy named Joe Collier of the Detroit Press wrote about it. And here's what he said. Here's the story. They have one main wish, Judy Varden says. They want a home that's safe for Lance. Restless and curious, he's made a habit of sneaking out of the house. And they try to keep an eye on him, but they can't hear when he opens the door and walks away. And so last month, Judy checked Lance's bedroom at 2 a.m. and he was missing. And she frantically searched the main floor and then the basement, and she found him in the backyard on the swing. It just scared me, she said through an interpreter. I hate that feeling, that scared feeling. So Guardian Security Services moves in and quickly installs a six-camera security system. The system should make the home safer for the Vardens and help them keep track of Lance with visual devices. White strobes go off if a door or window is opened. Red strobes go off in case of a fire. The Vardens can insert a GPS tracking device into Lance's pajamas. If he moves out of the defined area, the strobes will go off in the parents' bed will shake. The family doesn't want Lance confined. He needs a chance to roam and play. But if he wanders off, they'll know almost immediate, immediately. The good news is they won't be more than 10 minutes behind like they were before. They'll be 10 seconds behind. And so you watch this transformation, and it's just an amazing thing to see, and you just feel all the feelings. This show would be so easy to ruin Here's how you would ruin it. Eliminate the last five minutes. Because what always happens in the last five minutes of a show like this? The reveal, right? It's the reveal. It's when all of the work now is shown to the homeowner. And they come home. It's, it's the part where they come home and they react to what's been done for them. And they always cry. It would be an injustice to remove the last five minutes of the show. It would make it just completely lame. Why is that? Well, the answer is because there is something universally beautiful about 
gratitude. There's something universally beautiful about thanksgiving. It's when gratitude and joy meet. There's something profoundly right about seeing somebody overflow with thanksgiving about seeing someone lose themselves in expressions of kindness that have been shown to them. And that's what makes shows like that so popular and so moving is because you're seeing something being done for somebody and then you're seeing them react. And what's coming from them is this combination of gratitude and joy, which is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is gratitude and joy directed at the object of thanks. Thanksgiving is a deeply theological activity. The English poet and painter Dante Gabriel Rossetti said this, I love this quote, he said, the worst moment for an atheist is when he is truly thankful and has no one to thank. And I think he's right because what Thanksgiving is, is it's this meeting of joy and gratitude in response to the kindness of another. It's the confession of limits that we can't overcome on our own. It's the recognition of needs that we can't meet on our own. It's the gaining of lessons and wisdom that we couldn't teach ourselves. Thanksgiving is the expression of joy when those limits are extended or when those needs are met or those lessons are imparted and taught. When real insufficiencies are met and you have them and I have them, there's no greater joy than having someone to thank for that. The note at the beginning of this psalm indicates that David wrote it as a response of gratitude to God for delivering him from Abimelech, likely when David fled to Gath and he hid out in the caves of Adullam. This is the episode in 1 Samuel 21 where David hides in a cave and behaves like a madman in order to kind of escape his pursuers. How bad would it have to be for David to flee to Gath to hide? Because where is Gath? Gath is, who's from Gath? Goliath, right? To, to go to where Goliath is from to find refuge, it had to be bad. And so this is the psalm that David wrote in thanksgiving to the Lord for the Lord delivering him. It's a psalm of thanksgiving for the kindness and the provision of God's mercy and care. This psalm is also a cool poem. Um, it's, it's uh, if you know Hebrew, Yvonne, uh, this psalm is an acrostic, right? And what that means is each verse begins with the successive letter in the Hebrew alphabet, which I love that kind of stuff because it gives us this fascinating look into the creative mind of David, the poet king, is that he's, he's playing with language and vocabulary and letters, and so when you look at this in its original language, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, it's, it's following the Hebrew alphabet. So this is a psalm of thanksgiving. What does it say? The psalm opens with an invitation. 
And the invitation is key. It's this. It's an invitation for all who are humble to join the psalmist in thanking God for his kindness and blessing. That humility is vital because thanksgiving is all but impossible for the proud. He invites the humble to join him in thanking the Lord. You see it there. He says in verse two, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. The idea of blessing the name, he blesses the name of the Lord, is to speak well of the Lord to other people, to exalt the greatness and the character of God. And then you get into verses four through seven, and what the psalmist does is he names specific ways that God has blessed him, specific reasons why he's thankful. He sought the Lord in his fear, and the Lord heard him. Where are you afraid? Seek the Lord in your fear. He hears you. He cries out to the Lord, and the Lord saves him from his troubles. He says, the angel of the Lord camped in my midst. In other words, what he's doing is he's thanking God for his nearness, for the nearness of a God who is present and who listens. And then in verses 8 through 14, the psalmist continues the invitation to join in gratitude, what does he say? He says to, to us, taste and see that the Lord is good. He says to us, fear him with, with reverence. See that with him you will lack nothing. Turn away from evil. Pursue good. It's an invitation to gratitude. And gratitude looking like this, turning to the Lord and trusting him to be who he says he is. And then verses 15 through the end of the psalm, Focus again on the character of God. Who is this God to whom we extend gratitude? He talks about God and his mercy toward those who seek him. He says the eye of the Lord is toward the righteous. He hears our cries. We could spend a whole month of sermons unpacking the statement that the Lord hears our cries. Because we can think of God as this being that's out there who's sort of managing the controls, but maybe isn't that interested in the things that are burdening our souls. But that's not what scripture says. He hears us. He knows us. He's attentive to us. It says, his face is turned against those who pursue evil, they will be cut off. That should sound familiar to us because that's also said in Psalm 1, which was the first wisdom psalm that we looked at in this series. As he says, the righteous the Lord will preserve and keep, and the wicked will amount to nothing in the end. These words about the Lord here in these last verses are, are, are pretty tender. In verse 18, he says that he is near to the brokenhearted. One of the benefits of being a pastor is I, I have access to the brokenheartedness of many of you in the room. I don't know all, but I know a lot. And I can look around the room and I can know your sorrows because you've shared them with me. And everybody here has them. 
Everybody here has them. Everybody has a broken heart. And this passage is telling us the God that we pray to, the God that we ask to deliver us, he's near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Why is this good news? Because it is good news. It's good news because of what Psalm, or verse 19 tells us. And what verse 19 tells us is a very important truth. And it's this, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Or as Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But the Lord delivers us from our troubles which is something that I witnessed this past week at the funeral of a believing family member. From all of her suffering in this life, she has been delivered. All of it. This is not the hope of the wicked, the psalm tells us, but it is the hope of the believer. The Lord redeems the life of his servant and none who take refuge in him will be condemned. None. How can we put a psalm like this to work? How can we use this psalm in prayer? Well, it's it's kind of an invitation, this psalm, isn't it, to do what many of us often do or at least attempt to do around the Thanksgiving table, right? And that is for everybody to go around and consider and name something that you have to be thankful for. Any of you do that? For some of you, you're like, oh, it's our favorite part of Thanksgiving. And for others of us, we're like, that's rough. That's a rough part of Thanksgiving. <laughs> Trying to come up with what we're thankful for. Uh, and then have the, 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 uh, the, 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 the fortitude to voice that to other people around the table. It, it can sometimes be like pulling teeth. Why? Why is it so hard to express gratitude? I think there are a couple reasons for this. There are more than a couple, but let me offer two. The first reason why I think it's hard for us to express gratitude is because we are generally self-absorbed. We're generally self-absorbed. We don't really think about how much others have done for us and what others continue to do for us. And so we struggle to name what we're thankful for because we take God and we take other people for granted. And I think everybody in this room struggles with this to some degree or another. Well, what this psalm is for us, if we're putting it to work, is this psalm is an invitation. And it's an invitation to develop the muscle of thanksgiving. It's an invitation. And it even gives us some categories to get us started. How has the Lord shown you kindness? How has the Lord shown you mercy? How has the Lord comforted you? See, if you struggle to come up with answers... Isn't that what the discipline of prayer is really all about, right? It's about learning how to live in a relationship with God. That's part of the function of prayer is we are practicing our faith. In fact, verse 11 even gives us the invitation. It's beautiful. It's not condemning. What verse 11 says is, listen to me and I will teach you 
to fear the Lord. Fearing the Lord is something that we learn to do. We practice that. And so it's okay to admit that we have much to learn about gratitude. And this psalm is here to help us grow in thanksgiving. In fact, an easy expression of thanksgiving for God's mercy, particularly if you're somebody who feels like, I just struggle. I struggle to articulate and name things that I should be grateful for. An easy expression of gratitude in prayer could simply be this, Lord, I struggle to name all that I have to be grateful for. And yet, you don't abandon me for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Please teach me gratitude by showing me your provision by way of your word and by way of your spirit. That's a prayer that the Lord honors. A second reason it can be difficult to express gratitude is because we're proud and we don't like to admit need. We don't like to admit limit. And that's why this psalm opens by calling the humble to join him in thanksgiving. Because proud people struggle to say thank you. It's like you're giving up ground. But the humble recognize we have great need that we can't meet on our own. Deficiencies. And so what this psalm talks about is it talks about the Lord preserving those who trust in him, comforting the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. How does he do that? He does that in a way that would humble anyone who understands. And that is he, he, he provides for us and he preserves us and he cares for us and he comforts us and he redeems us through the life and the death and the resurrection of his own son who delivers us from our sin and delivers us from our separation from God. Is there a more humble position we could have than this to be hopelessly separated from God because of things we have chosen to do in rebellion and rejection of him and to have our holy, perfect, loving, gracious God redeem us from that. That's what verse 22 is about. Verse 22 has two clauses in it. The first clause, clause A, is the Lord redeems the life of his servants. Clause B, none who take refuge in him will be condemned. When David wrote those words, he only understood them in part because he didn't know how the Lord would ultimately redeem and how the Lord would ultimately preserve. But as the commentator Derek Kidner so poignantly said of this verse, he said, the Christian can echo the jubilant spirit of this psalm with gratitude, knowing the unimagined cost of 22a, the Lord redeems the life of his servant, and the unbounded scope of 22b, none who take refuge in him will be condemned. If we see that God has accomplished our salvation 
then what other response is there but thanksgiving? So much has been done. God is the one who redeems us, and he does so by his grace. If it was up to you to save yourself, you wouldn't have much to thank God for. But if God has authored this faith, that we stake all of our hope upon, and if he has faithfully shown himself to be all that he claims to be, merciful, gracious, preserving, what response is there, what reasonable response is there but thanksgiving? What do you have to be thankful for? Because the good news of the gospel is you have someone to thank. Thanksgiving is a holy activity. When gratitude and joy collide in the realization that what we desperately needed and could not do for ourselves has been done for us, what response is there but gratitude and thanksgiving? Let us then, by way of this psalm, learn the skill, because it's a skill. Learn the skill of thanksgiving. Let us practice gratitude, because we have someone to thank. Our salvation, he accomplished. Our faith, he authored. Everything we need to live in Christ, God did. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this psalm. And I thank you that the psalms, so many of them, are tied directly to moments that we can read about in other places in Scripture. Because it gives us the opportunity to see the depth of the trouble and the struggle that people like David encountered. And the psalms written in response, the way that they acknowledge specifically how you work and who you are. Father, we ask that you would continue to give us a deepening understanding of what it means to give thanks to you. Teach us gratitude. Teach us who you are and what you've done. Help us to see it more and more deeply all the time. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.